forever. Dog. Just between us. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and apparently an ENFJ, according to Myers-Briggs. Oh, I'm Gabby. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink. And I've, I don't think I've ever taken that test. Well, I had to take it for a class. I think you have to pay to take the, like, the official one. And they like gave, gave it to us for free for my class. You're an extrovert? What does it mean? Extrovert. Extrovert, intuitive, feeling, judging. But I would say that the judging part is it actually just means that like you like to have a plan. Like oh. that that final part is really just like the difference between like do you are you spontaneous or do you like to have a plan? But I don't know why they call it judging. Um I've never taken it. I have uh did you do the Enneagram ever? I can never remember which things I've done. But I did recently take a test that was what animal is in me, which I thought was a hilarious way to phrase it. And it what turns did it, say? It, it turns out I'm an otter. That makes sense, actually. I feel like it does because I feel like 100% I have to be some sort of water creature. Uh Uh-huh. And then they're very playful and they also like to hold hands. Yeah. I took took the Harry Potter, like, what is your Patronus or whatever, Mm -hmm. and mine was a rabbit. And I would not have chosen that for myself, but it does make sense. Oh, they have a lot of sex. That's what I thought. (laughs) But they're, like, cute, you know? and They're always up to stuff. Yeah. They're part of magicians' acts. You know what I mean? Uh, they're st- they're like they're good at being on stage and performing. Yes. The Enneagram, I'm like a three, which is the achiever. Oh. Um, which is kind of the description of it isn't always very flattering. <laughs> I think maybe I took it. I'll take it after this because I just I've, I'm in a real personality kick for Patronus. I was a dolphin. That's really cool, too. Thank you. Do you think that they're really telling any us anything about ourselves? And how do you use that? You know what I mean? Like once you know those things, how do you use that? So I actually wrote about this a little bit in one of my Patreon blogs and mm. I don't necessarily believe in like the science at all behind personality <laughs> tests. I, I think a lot of it is like bias of like seeing what you want to see and not and like not agreeing with what you don't want to agree with. Uh-huh. But, I, but I think a thing that can be helpful if you are like kind of circling this idea about yourself, but you've never really maybe figured out how to vocalize it or how to describe it in words. And then you see it in a description on a personality test, Mm -hmm. then you might be like, oh, that makes sense. And then you finally have kind of figured out how to vocalize this thing you've been thinking about yourself. Mm -hmm. So that like is a really cool part about it. And that happened for me with this test because I then like went to look up what the hell it meant to be an ENFJ. And on like 16personalities.com, it's called a protagonist if you're an ENFJ and it tells you a bit more about it. And under romantic relationships, it basically said that like, People who share, I'm reading it, but people who share the the protagonist personality type feel most at home when they're in a relationship and few types are more eager to establish a loving commitment with their chosen partners. There's really no greater joy for protagonists than to help along the goals of someone they care about. And the interweaving of lives that a committed relationship represents is the perfect opportunity to do that. And that felt so true to me. Mm -hmm. I was always like, well, why do I, why do I value relationships so much? But then it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, that's why. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It put into words. I just, I worry about if it, 
boxes you in and you think that that's oh, all, all you are and you can never be different things. So I would just worry about that. But I do think Enneagram 3 being the achiever, I think reading about it did point out problems, right? Like it'll say, you know, you're a little bit of workaholic, like you worry a lot about feeling worthless, like just mm-hmm. kind of putting, you know, similar to what you said, like putting a name to hey, this might be a true thing about you and you should think about it and maybe work on it or have more insight into like why you are this way. Why is your biggest fear being worthless? And what does that even mean? Yeah, but also they either are neutral or maybe do a little more harm than good. Like I don't necessarily (laughs) think that these are like a great thing to do. (laughs) This is just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games and brutal honesty. We have an incredible episode for you guys today. It's my bread and butter. It's the shit that I could talk about for for hours on end. Yeah, we have Demona Hoffman, a dating expert, TV and Washington Post and just very credentialed dating expert to talk all about love. And online dating and how to how to utilize online dating for it to be the most effective for you. Yeah, we really got into the science. Uh, and as you can probably hear in the upcoming interview, Allison has never has never grilled someone harder. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> in that's a, true. In a good way. You were like you were like so into it. You were so I love into it. it. Yeah, <laughs> I think I want to be a relationship coach. Anyway. I could tell from the interview. <laughs> Well, stick around after the break and you'll see right through me. <laughs> Just between us. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Our guest this week is Demona Hoffman. Demona's a dating expert for the new generation. Um, we should let her tell us all of her credits and what she's done because uh, she is the person who will teach you about celebrating your unique experiences, personal story, learning to love as you are instead of conforming and compromising your individuality to find love. This is on her bio. So, but first of all, you have a, a crazy list of credits. <laughs> I've been a little bit busy. It's true. <laughs> yeah. What, run us through um, some. Let's see. Well, I write a column in the LA Times called Dear Demona because I'm Demona and people write me questions. <laughs> start with, usually they don't start with dear, but <laughs> they're just like, Demona, help me. I also write for the Washington Post Date Lab column and I am all over the TVs in uh, on the Drew Barrymore show. I'm her love expert. Um, She uses the term guru, which feels really weird. Like I'm going to start a cult, but I'm not. Um, But I do kind of have a cult with the Dates and Mates podcast, which I've been doing for eight years and 350 episodes. Wow. So those are just some of the things that I entertain myself with while also coaching people about love in the modern world. So how do you get into that? How do you become a a dating expert? Totally by accident. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I actually started out as a casting director in TV. I was working for CBS and I was teaching classes for actors and marketing and how to have headshots that stood out to someone like me, a casting Mm -hmm. director who got literally thousands of headshots every week for various different roles. Like, how did I figure out if you're the right person or you're somebody that, that I should meet? And I was online dating at the time and I realized that, hey, 
there's a similarity there between the dating profile photo and the headshot and the first date and the audition. And so once I kind of applied the techniques that I would teach actors about being successful in that arena to my love life, I ended up meeting my husband online. And then very shortly after, started helping people write their dating profiles and the rest is sort of history. You were helping people write their profiles? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was what I did for many, many years. And then I found that I was getting people on a lot of dates and they were having a lot of luck in that respect. But then they would go on the dates and do the same stuff that was keeping them single. And I was like, "Uh oh, we got to add some (laughs) skills to the box here. So I became certified as a life coach and then specifically as a dating coach to help people all the way through the process from pre-date to pre-marriage. Wow. What does that certification look like? A piece of paper with my name on it. <laughs> what did but you have to like, do? Who, who gives it to you? Yeah. I understood the question. <laughs> that was funny. I mean, I, I say it like that way jokingly, but because really I had been doing, I had already been coaching for mm-hmm. like seven years by the time that I did my certification. So much of my learning has been on the job training. And I've always been really into data and studies. And I work with OkCupid right now as their dating expert and media spokesperson. So I love like they have so much data. They have so many stats. And so I apply, I've always applied that to my dating coaching program. But I was like, there are some people that like to see your name on a piece of paper. So there's a, there was a group, the International Dating Coaches Association, who aimed to put some sort of a benchmark or frameworks around like when I started dating coaching, there were no dating coaches. Like I would go to conferences with like people who ran dating apps and, and other business professionals. And they'd be like, well, you do what? What do you mean? (laughs) Dating profiles, you help people with dating, you coach people in dating. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know why that we coach in you have a coach for tennis. What? That's right. not nearly as important. Why not coach for dating? I wanted to legitimize the all of the experience that I have. So the certification in no way does that. But, <laughs> but for some people that like to know that I'm a certified dating coach, I am officially a certified dating coach. <laughs> okay. So wh- how do you write a profile for someone else? Like, how do you know? Let's say you're a person and you're like, how do I know what should go on my profile? If, for example, you were a person, I would say to you, person, what are you about? Um, And the way that I like now, a lot of my programs are online and I do, uh, I give tips, like I'll give you some top level tips that I would tell people. Mm -hmm. If I were writing your dating profile, which I don't really do one-on-one any any longer, but when I would do that, it would be two in-depth interviews where I basically kind of using my casting and producing experience, you know, would find out everything about you. What are your goals? What are your values? What are you looking for? Tell me some stories about your life. So much of the written part of the profile is about storytelling. And we are so bad at telling our own stories. Mm -hmm. So it's, it makes complete sense that somebody else might be better at pulling that story out and crafting it into a narrative. But I believe that everyone can do that. And that's why like I have a free profile starter kit on my website where anybody can use writing prompts or do sort of a plug and play profile and seem like a writer that tells their own story authentically, as you said at the beginning, Gabby, that can be the calling card that brings the right kind of dates to you. But the top line tips are really the 
the photo is the most important part of mm-hmm. your profile. So I, I have the templates and I help people with the written part of the profile because that is still an element. But if your profiles aren't working, you're not going to even get there. People are not going to swipe that far. So you start with the three C's, color, context, and character. Those are the three core elements of any dating profile photo collection. Color, it's psychological. If you have bright colors, which I'm not wearing today, but imagine I was wearing a bright red shirt or bright red lipstick, or I had a red wall behind me, your eye is going to be automatically trained to stop and pay attention and maybe go to the next photo and look deeper. Then Mm -hmm. within those deeper photos, you want context. You want to tell your story through your photos. What are you about? What do you enjoy doing? I don't want to read it. I want to see it. And then character is the one that most people forget. That's your personality. That's the quirky, the funny side of you, the nerdy side, the goofy side, the thing that would make someone look at you and say, oh, I like her. I could have fun with that person. Say you were a person. Mm -hmm. And then you you are getting more quality messages and not just the like, oh, she's cute. Let's swipe Mm -hmm. and see what happens. I I find because I've online dated more than I'd like to admit. Actually, I'm a huge online dating proponent, so I love to admit it. Um, <laughs> and <Thank you. laughs> I, I would say that one of the things I have an issue with a lot of the times is I feel like I do not understand what the person actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Where, right? Like where like the, they look very different in their photos or the photos are from so far away. Like, do you ever talk about that as being something like make sure that the person can actually see what you look like? Well, yeah, that's very important. Um, And that kind of goes into like, those were just my top line tips. There's obviously much more at DavinaHoffman.com. But the other elements are you have to be the star of your profile. So that Mm -hmm. means you cannot have photos with other people in them, that you can't have inaccurate or non-current photos, that you can't have blurry photos, you can't have filters, you have to have full body shots, a mix of full body shots and face shots. Mm -hmm. You have to be looking at the camera. You can't have hats. You can't have sunglasses where I can't really see what you look like. You can't have photos from different parts (laughs) of your life where I can't really tell the story and figure out who you are because they're so wildly different. I don't even know where to begin. Like Mm -hmm. the list really goes on and on, which is why you can now see how somebody would hire someone to write a date. (laughs) But honestly, once you figure it out and figure out the profile that works for you, it changes your dating experience so dramatically and so overnight that Mm -hmm. that is why I keep doing this for 15 years. (laughs) And what about like the sad reality of the numbers that like certain people do worse on dating apps than other people. Don't buy it. I don't buy it. I've I've read all the numbers. I know all the numbers. I just, in my experience, have not generally seen the numbers. And just, you know, we'll just shine a light on the numbers that you're probably talking about. Like uh, actually, OkCupid's founder, Christian Rudder, wrote a book and they had a blog a number of years ago, OkTrends, that said that Black women and Asian men got the fewest number of responses. They sent the most messages and received the fewest number of responses on dating apps. And I think you can look at the data and say like, okay, by and large, that could be true. 
And we could have a whole conversation about the unconscious racial bias in America and how we are unwilling to look at that and how particularly, you know, a lot of people point to these these numbers and studies, but they were from about 10 or 12 years ago. So they're not particularly current anymore. That said, still very much there. And I realized when I wrote an article on dating preference and racial bias in the Washington Post and had my website hacked and had, you know, the trolls come out of the woodwork and try. Oh, (laughs) people are so up in arms about like, it's just a preference. I think when anyone is that fired up about something, it means that they're defensive about that it is racist. <laughs> it lets you know that that person isn't for you. Yeah, that's that's true, but I'm more I'm more interested in the more subtle racial bias and how that shows up. And so what I have done for my clients of all racial backgrounds for my entire career is I've always encouraged them to be proactive. You are doing the choosing. You're not sitting Mm -hmm. around waiting to get chose. And this is why time and time again, I have always beaten the odds for Black women. I have also beaten the odds for Asian men time and time again. So I don't believe the stats because I do think strategically the way that I teach people to connect based on values and goals and to filter out, just as you said, the people who are not right for them very quickly, mm-hmm. then you're not, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if statistically you are not being chosen by white people, say, if you are making the connection with the one person that you're ultimately there to meet. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really important to to say that those statistics are so old. Yeah, they're old, but also like they're not they're not wrong. Like it's still right. a thing. It's not as much of a thing. It's definitely not as much as a, of a thing. And like even uh, I wish I had I'm a bad spokesperson. I don't have the stat right in front of me. <laughs> but OkCupid has also added a question. You know, they have these these matching questions. Mm-hmm. And they added a question about Black Lives Matter and right. what you like, how do you feel about racial justice? And and they found that most people on the app were now standing up and saying, I would not date someone who didn't believe that Black Lives Matter, who didn't oh. stand up for racial justice. And there were some like in Dataclism, Christian Rudder's book, there's some info on like people would say, I wouldn't date someone with racial bias. And then they looked at the numbers and they're like, except for you're exhibiting racial bias <laughs> in your profile. <laughs> but I have to believe as a woman of color that the conversation has shifted dramatically in mm-hmm. the last year and we still have a lot further to go. Mm-hmm. But I have to believe we are not living in the same world that we were even a year ago. Yeah. And I, I, I noticed, you know, I've returned to the apps following a, a broken engagement and there's the option for political views. And so for me, as someone who where my political views are one of my greatest identities and a high priority, if someone doesn't even list their political views and I know that that's an option to, then I'm like, oh, this person is probably not for me. Like, obviously, I'm going to get rid of the moderates and the... <laughs> You know, <laughs> and the Republicans or whatever. But to me, it's even just a sign to see that someone chose not to reveal that about themselves. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And also, we had a question on OKCupid about just voting. And we had a mm-hmm. voter badge that you could add. Mm-hmm. And people who chose the voter badge were just, they, first of all, they had a much higher chance of matching than if they didn't. But they were just 
just to anyone that didn't do the voter badge was like exiled. It was like, See I don't ya. want to be this person. <laughs> and actually one of the um, Washington Post date lab pieces that I wrote, politics, there was a, it's, it's Washington, but <laughs> politics sometimes comes up on dates, not actually as often as you might think. I know. But, but there was this woman that was such a huge part of her identity as she saw it, because what we're doing is we're trying to shortcut to that mm-hmm. means a certain set of values. And maybe like there's so much volume now that you have to sort through with people that if you could shortcut anything like, oh, okay, well, you're liberal. So that means you're aligned with me on X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're conservative. Well, we couldn't, <laughs> we, mm-hmm. I don't have to ask all these other questions because <laughs> I already know. Exactly. Already know. <laughs> but the nuance of that, even like these mm-hmm. two people were both liberal, but then she was like, he didn't vote in the election. And that was a huge red flag for me. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't vote in the 2020 election. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that. Like if I could date someone who didn't... Didn't vote. Didn't I know. Vote, didn't I couldn't. Voice. <laughs> it's, well, it's tough. Ugh, it's tough. But I, there are leftists who will not, who say, who have their reasons. But I think it is like a shortcut to what you believe in and what you stand for. I also... I also love what you just said about you're not waiting around to be chosen. You're doing the choosing. Like when you're online dating, you're looking for who you want. You're not waiting for someone to come to you. And I think that's really important. It's a real flip in perspective that I think a lot of people don't have. And this is why when people tell me, oh, I hate dating apps because there's just so much rejection. And I'm like, who's rejecting you? People Mm -hmm. you don't know? A Mm -hmm. swipe? is not a left swipe is not a rejection of you. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a rejection of this image in this moment in time on this app based on what I'm looking for. Like, and I, I just, I tell my clients rejections, your protection. Like Mm -hmm. if you were to engage with that person, just imagine how much time you would waste. Just imagine like how they ultimately might reject you and how that, that would, impact your your confidence in dating. It's like, no, 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 no. This is just the tool. We have to remember that dating apps are just the tool. That's not where the magic starts. That's not the romance. It doesn't have feelings. It's mm-hmm. it's not chivalrous. It's just it's just an app on your phone. Mm-hmm. And I I one of the things I love about dating apps is I think it like you you sort of mentioned it, like it cuts through the bullshit. Like, you know, I think that in traditional, like you mentioned, even in Washington, maybe you wouldn't bring up your politics on a first date. But I actually think that like, that's a mistake. I think that if you're looking for a serious relationship, it is really helpful to be able to say, what are you looking for? Why are you on this app? What are your values? What's your religion? What it even will be like, do you want kids? Like, do you want say kids? That. And people are afraid to. Like yeah. it makes it more effective dating to be able to sort of talk about those big things up top. Yeah, I don't know. I, I guess you have to figure out what the big things are for you, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if I would talk about politics on a first date. To me, that just doesn't sound sexy. Like, that's <laughs> what I want to know. But I do think it is important to talk about some of these larger things that you mentioned because they are filters. That is when the magic happens. That is when the the relationship unfolds. And 
if you're afraid to ask those questions, really, that is also a manifestation of fear of rejection. Because Mm -hmm. if I draw a line on this, or if I say I'm a 30 something year old woman, and I want to get married and have kids, and I'm afraid he's going to run away if I say that too early on, it's wild that we have reframed that for ourselves in meaning that's to, to mean that that is a source of rejection and that like guys are so afraid of commitment, you know, speaking heteronormatively, guys are so afraid of commitment that they'll just run away at the first sign of a woman who states her dating goals up front. Mm-hmm. No, if that if he runs away, he wasn't right for you in the first place, because mm-hmm. if that ultimately is your dating goal, then you should be unafraid to share that. And, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe it's not first date conversation as you're just starting to get to know them, but it's certainly not something that you are only, should only be figuring out, you know, three, four months down the road when you're- Or pretending that you're one way in order to lock someone down who, like being the the cool person, you know? There's so much cool going around right now. (laughs) Like everybody's playing it cool, but I don't want him to know that I like him that much. So I'm not going to text him until the next day or I don't want to tell him on the date that I liked him or I want to see him again because what if he doesn't like me? It's all, that's just all our insecurity talking. And the Mm -hmm. more that you can get authentic with what you want and who you are, the quicker you will be able to attract someone who loves you for that and whose goals are aligned with that. Can we go back to a little bit of what you said earlier that you were noticing that people were getting dates and then screwing it up from there? <laughs> so yes. what what are some normal normal mishaps that you see happen in the early stages of dating? First of all, texting. Mm. Eh. Oh, say mm. more. Mm. Texting is how a lot of people ruin an otherwise possible. <laughs> a good possibility for a relationship because we have this false sense of closeness sometimes because we're behind the screen and we're like, oh, well, what's the big deal? I'm just going to say this quirky thing about me or I'm just going to throw that out there. And if he runs away, then probably wasn't meant to be anyway. And I want to clarify, that's not what I mean by like stating your goals up front, but I also don't think you should be stating your goals in a text. Like I had a dates and mates listener write to me and she was saying that she basically was trying to like DTR to find the relationship in a text. I don't Mm -hmm. know, like six weeks in, she was like, so what are we, what are we looking? Are you, are we look, are you looking for a serious relationship or or, are we, can we be boyfriend and girlfriend? I don't know exactly how she like phrased it. And he was like, Oh, I just got out of a relationship. I'm not really looking for anything serious. And it's like, Okay, well, first of all, that guy's a jerk. But second of all, (laughs) I mean, glad that he said it up front. But why is that a text conversation? I'm so confused as to Mm -hmm. why you think that you could really get to the bottom of that conversation over text. And we do it because we're like, well, that's less painful. If he says Mm no, I just block and delete and move on. But we have to be having these courageous conversations in real time, whether it's on the phone or FaceTime or face to face, it has to be a real time conversation where he can look into your eyes and say, well, this is where I am, but I really like you. And I don't want to disappoint you, but I don't know where it's headed. And can you still accept me? There's no tone. There's no context. No context. And there's no way to respond 
in real time and talk through something. So, and then before the date, so many people are ruining texts before the date because they're saying so much that they get to the date and there's nothing really there to discover. All the magic is sucked out because Mm. you revealed everything over text before. So I really have my clients limit text before the date. Please don't say I got, I had a client say like, I told him that I have a rule and in the past it's gone poorly because I've said too much over text. So I'm not going to do it. Nope. Too much information. girl. (laughs) Nope. All you need to say is like, well, I'd really love to save that for when we see each other in person or like, Mm -hmm. oh, it'll be fun to talk to you about that when we get Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all you have to say. Just leave it there. You don't have to say like, I'm doing a dating plan and Damona Hoffman told me (laughs) too much. TMI. (laughs) So that's number one. The texting is, is the biggest change I see actually in dating since I started doing this work. Uh, And I, I really noticed it as a problem about I want to say like six years ago, I started doing workshops on, I call it the texting trap and how to get out of it and how to move forward to the date and the real connections, Mm -hmm. which ultimately are what we all want anyway. We don't want these little snacks. We want a meal. How has that sort of shifted in in COVID times, right? For you mean just sort of like get to the FaceTime faster if you can't get to the date? (laughs) Oh, how much time you got? Um, (laughs) COVID, after Tinder, COVID has been, of course, the biggest disruptor to dating that I've seen since I started this company. Um, It's weird. Uh, The best Mm -hmm. I can tell you is that it's weird right now and results may vary. (laughs) It's true. I mean, I used to really predictably be able to say, if you do this, he's going to do that. If you send this message, she will come back. And I, I now... I'm finding that people's behavior is just very erratic and unpredictable. And I understand it. We're under a lot of stress. Some people are dealing with anxiety over possibly having COVID or going through COVID or knowing someone that they've lost to COVID and maybe depression or isolation. Like we're all weird right Mm -hmm. now. And so dating is going to be weird. (laughs) So I, I, that probably wasn't the most helpful or comforting r- response, but... Um, but maybe it we, isn't if someone's having a really hard time doing it and they think, what's wrong with me? Sort of knowing that people aren't dating normally right now. Or they don't feel motivated right now or they don't feel, you know, like I think truly also being isolated, being unable to meet up the way they would, maybe even like losing your job. So you're like, I know you don't have money to be in a relationship. Like it's so, there's so many factors um, that have changed everything and probably moved people's expectations and timelines around hugely. Definitely. So if you're listening and that describes you, we see you, we hear you and know that that may be the situation for other people you meet. Mm -hmm. That said, I still am seeing relationships be formed within the pandemic. I have had two clients who had Zoom weddings inside of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and love is still happening. And it's still possible for you, even if dating apps have never worked for you, even if you're super frustrated right now, what I am trying to do is keep that little nugget of hope going that if you have a different approach and maybe if you have a different mindset and maybe if you have a different tool or support, you can change your experience still today. So I have, for a long time, I've had rules actually around virtual dates and 
I said on my podcast a year ago, I did like predictions for the future of dating. And I was like, video dating is going to become the wave of the future. I had no idea what was about to come. Like You're literally it was a year ago. I'm the Nostradamus of dating one year ago. <laughs> because a lot of the dating apps just coincidentally had started adding video features. And I knew <sighs> that we were having a screening problem. Too many of my clients were just like, swipe, 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 text, 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 go on the date, disappointed, ghosted. Yeah frustrated, burnout, fatigue. And I was like, we have to have some sort of a screening step in between. So I didn't realize at the time that the screening step was going to become the actual date. Mm -hmm. But I have always said, if you're going to be dating virtually, first of all, cool to date long distance. You have to have a plan though, that at some point there's a world in which you two could be together. Mm -hmm. You have to plan the plan the Zoom date or the FaceTime like you would another date, like give it an activity. If you just show up and you're just like, oh yeah, I'm around now. Hey, should we FaceTime each other? Yeah, cool. And you're in your pajamas. How how are you going to make a great impression on that first date? Like give yourself an activity, do sip and paint night, do 20 questions, like gamify it, make it fun for yourself. Yes, it takes more effort. Yes, we don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I guarantee you if we are just like sleepwalking through it, I know what the outcome will be and you won't like it. (laughs) What do you think about people who think that it's like shameful to want a relationship and to and say that openly while dating? Oh, that's really interesting. I actually I don't know that I hear so much about people thinking it's shameful to be seeking a relationship, I actually hear the opposite. I think there's a lot of single shame. Like people are being shamed like by their family Mm. and to some extent by their friends of like, well, why haven't you met somebody yet? Well, why don't, why don't you settle down? And I find I have to lift people up around their single shame to let them know, Mm. like, it's also okay for you to choose to be single. That is, that is an option for you. That is okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we always in pursuit of a relationship? Yeah. That's how I felt when I was single. Like, do you feel like there's pressure to always be seeking somebody? No, I guess I just meant like kind of in what we were talking about, where like, I think a lot of times, and and this might be going in a more heteronormative direction, where like women feel like if I say that my intention is within the two years, I'd love to be married so I can start my family, you know, like that people will be like, oh, you're desperate versus Mm. like, oh, I'm just looking for a relationship because I've realized that is something that I want in my life and therefore I will go after it with the same intention that I go after my career, my friendships, everything else. Even doing things like, I'm sure there, you know, you hear a lot from people who are like, well, that's not romantic to like go on these dates or game what you're going to say or whatever. Like what happened to the the meet cute? What happened to the, you know, we'll like meet them soulmate. when you least expect them. Yeah, your romantic soulmate that you'll just be walking around a bookstore and run into Tom Hanks or whatever. That was always a myth. Um, <laughs> no shade to Tom Hanks and... <laughs> all of those lovely rom-coms we grew up watching and the fairy tales we grew up reading. But that's always been a myth, you know? Like, in reality, I say this is the best time, maybe not in COVID, but (laughs) pre-COVID maybe, this is the best time ever in the era of dating apps for a woman in particular to be single. If you go back a few generations, your dating options were so limited. Like, we look at the census data from 
from, you know, the 1920s and 1930s. And most people married someone literally who lived within five blocks of their house. (laughs) Five blocks. So what does that mean to you? Like, you didn't have this ability to like fantasize about some guy you're going to meet in another city or another country, <laughs> anywhere in the world who liked the same books that you did and who had the same political values and the same goals. No, it was just like, oh, well, my mom knows this guy and um, he goes to my church or I, I met this guy at school. And so I better hurry up and get married mm-hmm. and have a baby before I'm 25. And <laughs> oh, look, I'm miserable. Because we have nothing in common and I have no attraction to him Mm -hmm. anymore. That didn't, that didn't sound that hot to me. I, I was not interested in that life. So when I discovered dating apps, I was like, actually, this is great. I can dial into a person who wants the same things that I do and sees the world in the same way that I do. And that's, I think that's the reframe, right? It's, it's, and I just don't spend that much time thinking about um, what other people are thinking about mm-hmm. me. I'm or just about saying my that they should get rid of the idea th- of those sort of notions. Completely. Yeah. I'm totally in agreement with you. And people do. And I'm sure there are folks listening right now that are like, oh, yeah, actually, wait, I have been doing that. And I have been afraid to share what I really want because I am afraid that people will judge that or will think that I'm desperate. And I just don't see it as desperate at all. Even seeking out a dating coach or a matchmaker or any kind of information or support in dating. I think there was a time when people were like, well, what's wrong with you where you can't meet somebody? Mm -hmm. But look at how distracted we are. Look how full our lives are. We have so many other things to think about that ultimately the person that you end up blending your life with is really the most important decision you will ever make. Mm-hmm. It'll affect your finances. It'll affect your family. It'll probably affect your career. It'll affect your mental health. So why would that be something that you leave to chance? Why would that be something you seek out in a meet cute? Well, like you've completely crafted your entire career and your education that's going to lead to the internship, uh-huh. to the job that like, that is not actually the most important thing. You could get fired from your job today and some people have. And then you're like, wait a minute, what do I have to show for it? What What is left here from this path that I thought I was on? And I say that as somebody who went up a corporate career path that I thought I was destined to do and mm. suddenly realized that that wasn't actually what I was about and wasn't wasn't my calling and wasn't the life that I wanted once I built it. And that really understanding myself, connecting with other humans, building the family life that I wanted and seeking to help other people do that as well was really ultimately the thing that I was meant to do. And so this even even the pursuit of a relationship I think is not necessarily the right choice for everyone listening right now. But if it is, I don't know why you would approach it haphazardly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I interviewed a a dating coach for um, a book that I'm working on and and she said, you know, you're picking the VP of your life. (laughs) And I was like, yes, you are, you know, like you should go in with strategy. You should you know, my therapist has always said it's like a job, you know, treat it like a job. You're finding the right candidate. Um, 
and like it's your job, I said. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I think that 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 reframe is somewhat new, but has come about because of dating apps and dating apps really like kind of allowing you to do that on like a massive scale. And so I think I think that they're they're wonderful. And I'm I'm so excited for our producer, Melissa, to use her Hinge premium membership Ooh. that Allison bought her. <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs> She has I, know, no I need more information. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's another thing. I think a lot of people, because dating apps are now free, and because when I started doing it, it was like 20, 30 bucks a month mm-hmm. and a really high barrier for entry. Now that they're free, there's like this expectation that everything is supposed to be free. And then people ask me, is it worth it to pay for premium? And I've always kind of said you get what you pay for. There have been free apps for a long time, but now the norm is that it's free. But it's like, well, what are you what are you willing to do? Like, do you want to shortcut this? Like I had a dates and mates listener that asked, should I pay for Bumble Beeline because um, you know, I don't really want to pay for the app and I feel like everybody good is behind the paywall, but I'm like, well, it's what's your time worth to you? Is it worth it to be able to automatically see the people who have swiped on you? Or, I mean, I can teach you how to get to the top of the algorithm. And we haven't even gotten into that, but that's for another show. I can teach you how to get to the top of the algorithm, but it's going to take time. It's going to take effort. So you just have to really figure out how much time do you have to devote to your dating life right now? And if you are really feeling like you're ready for love, like, can you make it your top one or two priorities? Not forever, but for like 30 days, 60 days. I don't know how long Melissa got on her (laughs) her hinge premium, but can you (laughs) devote a certain period of time to saying this is the most important thing for me to focus on right now? Mm. I love that. I had no idea that you could get to the top of the algorithm. (laughs) There's all sorts of tricks I have. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you the next time. (laughs) (laughs) Before we move on to to America's favorite game show, I guess my I think sometimes people don't know when it's the right time to to commit to when when they've been maybe seeing each other for a bit. And it's sort of like, am I in? Am I out? What's that next step? And, And do you have any advice for that? Go slow. (laughs) Um, That's another thing. I feel like I've gotten a lot of questions lately on the pacing of relationships. I've always said, take your time. Like, and and even just in the first first dates, I feel like we're always looking for reasons to say no rather than reasons to say yes. I try to have my clients follow a three-date rule. If you're curious enough about this person after the first date to then spend one more date with them and then you should go. If you're curious enough after the second to go one more time, then do that. If by the third date, you don't have butterflies, chemistry, a desire to kiss them, any of those kind of thoughts, it's probably not the right person. But then you know you've allowed the connection to unfold. Mm -hmm. Beyond that point, like everyone's on their own timeline. But I feel like probably within COVID, there's such a, there's so much pressure to figure out what we are. And then what does that mean? Like if we are seeing each other and we're 
COVID testing or bubbling, like, wait, are we exclusive? Like those conversations have almost gotten flip-flopped when before you wouldn't have that conversation until like you were getting ready to have sex with someone. Now you almost have to put the cart before the horse and figure out if they're safe for you. And then you're kind of exclusive, but then not really exclusive. You just, but you need to know if they're seeing other people just because you don't want to like, you know, die from COVID, for example. Right. How do you broach that question? You probably wait longer than you think you should. Like (laughs) I just had a client this week that was like, yeah, I've been seeing this girl for like four weeks. She told me that she wants to really go slow, but then I am really interested in her. Like, this is the thing. Like people are always like, oh, guys are noncommittal. I'm like, no, 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 no. When they, when they're ready, they will pounce. And I was (laughs) like, you need to take your foot off the gas for a second. And she just told you she wants to go slow. So just, just go, can you go on listening mode? Which of course he didn't do. And like so, so many of my clients like don't follow my advice. But um, it worked out anyway, because he said, um, he just said, what are we I, mm-hmm. on their last date? And she was like, well, I think it's kind of clear what we are. Because in COVID, we can't see anybody else anyway. So <laughs> now they are exclusive They are, and they have to find the relationship. But I find that it's like, usually you can't really expect before like six weeks to really have that clarifying conversation. But mm-hmm. I think it's totally fair to ask them if they are dating somebody else, if you are planning to share air with them, mm-hmm. let alone anything more serious in today's wonderful COVID world. Yeah, I think (laughs) men probably feel shame too about wanting to be in a relationship. I think they probably feel like it makes them like wussy or something. That that is that's interesting thought. And I I think there's some truth to that. I mean, so much of it is based on your upbringing, Mm -hmm. your values, your past experiences. And that's what keeps this work interesting for me is that everybody is sort of their own their own enigma wrapped in a (laughs) riddle, wrapped in a dating profile. And that's why I'm really excited to help people unravel their own stuff, figure out their own patterns and what it means to them, what they associate these behaviors with and see what happens if we make little adjustments and we change a little bit along the way, how big changes might start happening to us. Totally. Because, you know, you shift things in work and your work gets better. You shift things in your friendships and things get better. And I think sometimes people feel like I'm just unlucky in love and that's my whole life forever. But really, if you make these adjustments like you talked about, you can get super different results. I have been there. I felt I was unlucky in love. I was Mm -hmm. a huge love cynic before I met my husband. I like sometimes I look at him and I'm just like, I don't know how you did this. Like, (laughs) I was like, you have tamed the beast because (laughs) I just honestly didn't even know the kind of relationship that I have is possible because I didn't have that relationship role model. Like my parents divorced when I was 17. I didn't really see strong relationships with good communication (laughs) who like worked through problems before they became huge blowout fights. I didn't know that that was a thing people did, (laughs) but it is. And I know it now because I'm living in it. And there are a lot of people that need to to hear that. Like, I'm not just giving this advice because I read it in a book or because I studied it or because I theoretically Mm -hmm. believe it. 
it's possible. I'm saying this because I've lived it. I've walked through it. I have changed and I've seen other people change. And like the number of people that have come to me and said they've been single for like 10 years or they're divorced at a young age. And then they thought, oh, I have this scarlet letter and I'm never going to, I'm a 30 year old divorcee. I'll never find love again. And I just always tell them, never say never, because um, I've just had to meet, make too many of them, including myself, eat their words. I love that. <laughs> I love hope. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Would you like to play a game show? Not really, but I, I think I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> and yeah. that's like dating, too. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. And that is what bravery is. <laughs> Okay, so let me explain this to you. So you and Gabby are my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask as many clarifying questions as you want and then tell me what you would do in that situation. No wrong answers. I just decide the winner based on my own feelings and impulses in that moment. (laughs) Okay, great. So our first game is, would you stay with this cheater? When you met your significant other of one year, they told you that their spouse was currently in a coma and was unlikely to ever wake up. On the day you move in together, their spouse wakes up from the coma and your partner asks if you can keep your relationship a secret from their spouse until they are feeling better and are better able to process the news. Would you stay with this cheater? To be clear, in this scenario, you are technically the mistress. How long was the woman in a coma? Seven years. (laughs) It's like Sleeping Beauty. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Gabby, who should who should go first? Do you have other questions? How long were you, were you with this person? One year and you just moved in together. And how long until they break up with the coma person? They haven't given a definite. They just say, you know, you, they can't, they don't want to shock them right into another coma. <laughs> okay, I'm going to say no, I would not stay because I need a definite timeline on when they're going to, I need like a date by which they will break up with the wife. I agree with you. I would say no, not because the relationship was built on a lie, because it was accurate. Like this person, I thought you were going to say, and then there was no girlfriend in a coma because (laughs) that's more the story that I hear. It's like, and then he said he was separated from his wife, but then she called me and they are not (laughs) separated. Um, So I actually would say just because it's like, they have all of that history. Mm -hmm. And even though you maybe have, built this year with them, that is always going to be a factor in your life. And I wouldn't want to be waiting around either. But then again, I I have avoidant uh, attachment style tendencies. Mm. So I would just be like, thanks for no thanks. I'm a bounce. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, on your way home from telling them that you were going to bounce, you get in a car accident and you go into a coma. What? How are those related? It's just life, baby. Comes at you fast. Just like choose your own adventure. I want to turn back a page. No. (laughs) You use comas as liberally as a soap opera. Like, I don't think comas happen that much. In this, in the hypothetical universe, you never know. They're right around the corner. Fine. But what if my secret twin sister exactly moves That's what across the show country, is. right? Mm-hmm. She's going to come take care of me in the coma. And then he falls in love with her. And then I wake up. That would really suck. <laughs> that would be terrible. Mind blown. <laughs>
<laughs> okay, our next game. Are they an alien or just rude? You get a new boss at work. And for the first team Zoom meeting, she sends out an email asking everyone to position their cameras so your full body is in view, including footwear. Is she an alien or just rude? Rude. What is her reasoning? Professionalism. So you need to be wearing like professional shoes? I actually had a boss that did that. Like... (laughs) No, seriously. When I was in TV, there was I, I'm not going to name any names. It's a very small industry. But the the boss of my boss would sometimes come. She worked across. She worked in the other office across the country. But she would sometimes come in and she would look. She didn't know any of our names, even though we were like high level executives in the company. And she would just like look at you like up and down, like all the way up and down. You're like, my eyes are here. Look here, look at me. But it was really awkward. I kind of felt like I was at like, you know, it was like a meat market or something. Um, so I think she might be an an alien, actually. She, yeah, she's probably an alien and she just doesn't know like the social norms Mm-mm. here on this planet and that it's uncomfortable to look a female executive up and down like a piece of meat all the way to her shoes. So that's what they did on her home planet. And she didn't realize it was weird. I say rude, rude, controlling person. They were an alien. And, and for them, <laughs> if their feet are in sandals, then they can, then that means they're not paying attention. Because they, they get a lot of sensory stuff through their feet. And so then you're there listening, you know, they can't stay sense. focused if they're in sandals. That makes total sense. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Gabby is so mad. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, our final game. Are you an asshole? Mm. According to your lease, you're not allowed to have any pets in your apartment. However... Two weeks ago, you adopted a kitten from the street and have fallen in love. One day, your landlord stops by and says your next door neighbor reported hearing sounds of a kitten through the walls. Instead of copping to it, you tell your landlord that your neighbor is just lying because they asked you out and you rejected them. You say they are a pathological liar and you absolutely do not have a cat. Your landlord believes you. Are you an asshole? Yes, but you should do it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Who is my neighbor? Someone like in my dating range? Uh, Yes. And do you actually want to potentially date your neighbor ever? No, but they've never asked you out. That was all a lie. Hmm. That is a perfect lie because it's not like the landlord will go and like want to talk to them about their rejection. That is a perfect lie. Thank you. They're just mad because there's no way to prove (laughs) that they didn't ask you out. That is genius. (laughs) I say you're a genius. I'll accept that answer. <laughs> I, I think you're um, you're a philanthropist, really. Because <laughs> you're, you're taking care of a kitten. You're actually yes. a really great person. You're a great person. Yeah. And I, I like I like that lie, too, if you're going to lie. I mean, I'm all about authenticity, so I can't really endorse the lie. But if you mm. were going to lie that would be the one to go for. So yeah, you're, you're a an, smart asshole. You're, you're not, you're definitely an asshole, but, but yeah, the good kind. <laughs> the good kind. And I hope we gave some of you all ideas about how to have pets illegally in your apartment. 
Wow. Before we let you go, um, we like our guests to rate their experience being on this podcast. Yeah. Was um, it good? Is there anything did we you can have do better? Any cre- any What's constructive criticism? Uh, you actually create the scale. So oh. you could say, for example, like seven out of six uh, profile photos, however you want to rate it. Oh, interesting. In the Washington Post date lab column, everybody rates the date out of five. And people have gotten real specific now. They start doing like, they're like, can I do a 10th of a point? And I'm just like, <laughs> come, just make a decision. But I, so I would say like, off the charts above five. And I do a lot of podcast interviews and like, this is definitely the most fun I've had in a long time. Wow. Five plus. This is, oh my, we should have been asking the guests to rate this way before now. Listeners, <laughs> you heard thing. it here first. <laughs> Listeners, come on. We are bringing you the right stuff. There, you have, you totally. support us, rate us. We are Demona's best interview. She said <laughs> I didn't <ours>. say that. <laughs> she said we're the best interview she's ever done. And she actually said, fuck all the other interviews. It was really, it was really intense. <laughs> she's but gonna she change said the it. score, Gabby. Just shut uh, up. We don't want to No, this ruin is all it. part of the score. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, this you, was Ellen super, DeGeneres. super fun. <laughs> and your shoes. <laughs> Go back to whatever planet you came from. Uh, No, this was super fun. Honestly, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Oh, thank thank you you. so much. And where can everyone find out more about you and hire you and read your writings and everything? Well, the best place to start is the Dates and Mates podcast, which is, yeah, 350 episodes in every Tuesday on whatever podcast platform you're on. And if you want to get the, my free profile starter kit, get your profile polished up. You can find that at datesandmates.com where you can also listen to the show. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or youtube.com slash show. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. And also at JBU Podcast on Instagram, at Gabby Road on Instagram, at Allison Raskin on Instagram, at Emotional Support Lady on Instagram. Uh, And uh, sign up for Allison's Patreon, where you get a secret Discord. Forever!